Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Well, praise the Lord. Man, it's good to be here. I, I tell you what, we were singing that song, uh, uh, How He Loves, and I could have sang that all day long, and I know some of you are like, man, let's move on, let's move on. I'm sorry, when, when the Holy Spirit just starts moving like that, can I just say we're going to be doing that in heaven? And there's going to be no time, so we don't have to quit. We can just bask in the presence of his love. And uh, man, I just, I just loved his presence today. Thank you, worship team, for leading us into his presence. Um, in 1983, I was a sixth grader. I was nerdy. That year in the science fair, I built a lie detector that worked. And as you can see by my picture, um, I, I was just, uh, yeah, I, I played that geek nerdy thing real well. I did have to wear special inlays in my shoes, and this is, I'm describing why I'm wearing what I'm wearing as a sixth grader, because most sixth graders don't dress in sweaters and nice collared shirts. That's not just picture day, that's every day for me in the sixth grade. Not the same sweater, okay, but, but like that. I had special inlays in my shoes to correct my bad no-arch feet. And uh, this meant wearing old man orthopedic shoes, which pretty much forced me to dress up all the time so that my goofy shoes wouldn't be as noticeable and no one would know. So I just dressed up and acted like I loved dressing up. In sixth grade, as a young man, you are usually still trying to figure out where you fit in with the other boys, right? The pecking order that puts you into groups and establishes who you will be eating lunch with, uh, who your friends are going to be, it all really starts developing faster at this age, and at least that's when it did for me. Right or wrong, it was just the way it was. And it played out in physical fighting to see who was the toughest out in the playground, asking girls to go steady or to go out with you, to see who is the bravest. Being super competitive in sports, which was not easy during a recess because I was wearing orthopedic shoes. And a ton of other ways that this played out this, to find out what this pecking order was. And personally, I remember stompers. Stompers. These were the newest toy that everybody had to have. They were small, battery-operated, four-by-four trucks and cars that had foam tires you could remove and replace with other foam tires depending on the terrain you were planning to run them on. Anybody remember Stompers? They were the bomb. But the coolest thing about them was that you could hook them up to each other and see at school whose Stomper would stomp the others in a pull-off. It was a battle of strength and willpower. And if you happened to come out on the, on the battle victorious, you not only had bragging rights, but you literally established your manhood for the entire school year. <laughs> Pulling stompers was a big deal. And there were a ton of different stompers in a variety of colors. There was the brat stomper, the old brat truck stomper. Remember that? How many remember brat trucks? Dumb, right? Weren't they just dumb? How many had, how many, who had a brat truck? 
a real brat truck? Nobody? I knew you were all saved. Okay. <laughs> then there was the classic pickup with the topper stomper. And who could forget the infamous Jeep 4x4 stomper? The kids who showed up with that, man, they were, they were cool. Or the ever-so-popular Ford Bronco stomper. That was a beaut, Clark. And then there was the tank stomper that appealed to those that liked everything camouflage and everything army surplus. And obviously there were many cool styles, like the Smokey and the Bandit Stomper and the Dukes of Hazard Stomper, which were really only for show as they didn't have the pulling capability to be a viable competitor in our serious competitions. But there was a stomper that everyone knew and loved that was fear, a fierce competitor in our pro-circuit playground pull-offs. The one and only A-Team Van Stomper. And for, and for sure, the kid who owned and used this stomper in our battles would always say when he won, I love it when a plan comes together, right? <laughs> Sometimes a newbie would show up to compete with this lame sauce stomper, the Subaru hatchback stomper. <laughs> but they would lose so bad that they wouldn't come back and they were the subject of ridicule and the other kids used to laugh and call them names, but they wouldn't let poor, lame Subaru kid play in any stomper games. Anyway, I used to do pretty good um, during my stomper pull days. I, I would win some and lose some. But then one day, I let my dad in on, in on all the excitement at school and how winning these pull-offs was kind of a big deal. And he jumped in, and suddenly, because of my father... I had a big, big advantage. I got a new stomper, the semi-truck stomper. <laughs> and remember, I was the kid wearing a sweater with orthopedic shoes that felt a little awkward. And you have to understand, this, this thing had, this stomper had dually tires. It was longer and a bit heavier than the other stompers. But more importantly, it also came with the dad factor, which was my advantage. My dad took it apart and we fit it with a nine volt battery. All the other ones ran off two double A batteries. Um, we, we took lead fishing sinkers and we melted them down with his torch and we poured them into every nook and cranny we could find. The whole cab was filled with lead. And when it hooked up to the other stompers, it done busted up the game, let me tell you. It was awesome. It beat them so badly that the other stompers literally bounced and flipped over as my semi-truck just took off like there was nothing tied to it. I would take on two stompers at a time, sometimes three, even four, and I would win. It was truly magnificent. And it helped this nerdy, sweater-wearing, orthopedic, shoe-wearing kid put his chest out and walk with pride as I was the reigning king of the stomper pull world, at least on our playground. I had the advantage of my dad. And today is Father's Day. And it's a day that we celebrate dads. And even though the reality is that there are many good, wonderful fathers out there, there are also those that are absent from being involved in their children's lives for various reasons. And of course, there are those who get to celebrate and love on their dads on this day, and there are those who have, 
only the memories of their dad to celebrate. It can certainly be a hard day for those who had abusive fathers, and yet a wonderful day for those who have the blessing of a godly father. So many variables, so many different situations, and an endless number of ways to process those specific situations. But wherever you find yourself emotionally speaking in reference to your specific dad situation, I can tell you this, we all have a perfect heavenly father who wants nothing more than to be your father in every sense of the word. And this morning I thought it would be best that as we celebrate dads, we focus on the perfect father that we all have. Here's a thought, we've all heard the phrase dad issues, right? as in that person has dad, daddy issues or dad issues. And although this may be actually true for many people and is often the reason that is given to, to bring understanding in regards to someone's poor behavior or lack of personal self-control, the fact remains that we have a perfect heavenly father that levels the playing field in that area for everyone. Amen. We all have access to the same perfect father. That is to say, we have a re, uh, regardless of how your father was, we have a unique relationship with God. We can have. It's available to us. And with that access, with that relationship we have or, or potentially can have, there are certain perks, there are benefits, if you will. There are advantages to having a perfect heavenly father, and these benefits are undeniable. If there's one thing I think everyone would want in this race of life, it's an advantage. So what are the advantages of the Father? Well, I'm going to read to you Psalm 32, 7, 10, because I think this gives us three of them really clearly, and, and I want to share those with you this morning. Psalm 32, verse 7 says this, For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. Selah, which that's a musical term that means music pause. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those that trust the Lord. And I love this psalm, which is really about the blessings that are privy to those that have repented of their sins, accepted Jesus Christ, and are forgiven. They walk in forgiveness. They've made the, our Heavenly Father their Father. This is a psalm, at least in part, about the advantages of making God the Father your Father. And when you do that, your, perfectly hev your perfect Heavenly Father gives you, number one, the advantage of protection. Verse 7 says this, For you are my hiding place, you protect me from trouble. We just read it. You are my hiding place, you protect me from trouble. Now, I know it's pretty obvious just by taking one look at me that I used to run track and cross country back in high school. Yeah, some of you are laughing. Just laugh it up. Laugh it up. <laughs> so this dad bod used to be in shape. Well, way back then, we actually had required PE, and it was real PE. It was physical education. And they made you do real physical stuff every day or every other day or whenever you had it. And it would make you sweat. And this guy wasn't really my coach, but he was a PE teacher at my high school, and he taught health class as well. And we're going to just uh, refer to him as Coach C. 
Well, one day during PE class, Coach C had us run around the gymnasium for 10 to 15 minutes. I don't know how long it was. The bleachers were all put flat up against the wall in our gym, and we were running around the outside of the, the basketball court. I was, I was running in pace with everyone else when Coach C started in on me. He was yelling, pick up the pace, Hill, and that's how he talked. Not making fun of him, just the way he talked. Pick up the pace, Hill. I had a track meet later that afternoon, so I decided not to pick up the pace. After all, I was running with everyone else. I didn't see the need to run faster than everyone else and start lapping people just because he thought, well, I was a trackster, I was a cross-country guy, I should be running faster than everybody else. He wanted to see me sweat like everybody else, and I didn't want to get tired because I had a track meet. Coach C thought differently. He yelled the, that very thing. You're a trackster, Hill. Whoa, you're a trackster, Hill. Pick up the pace. I didn't. So the next time I ran by him, he reached out, he grabbed me by the back of the neck, and he shoved me up against the wall hard and began screaming at me about slacking off and not running faster than everyone because I was in shape. He let me go, and I continued to run the pace of everyone else because I was just a little bit stubborn. The next day, I'm in health class with Coach C. He was teaching health, sitting there, and all of a sudden, I heard my dad's voice. How many know that when the father speaks, you hear his voice, and you know his voice, and you know his tone, your earthly father? You know his tone, right? I heard his voice, and it said, Coach C, I'd like to have a word with you out in the hallway. The class was like, because mm, they heard the tone as well. And I don't remember exactly the words my dad used. Some of them were probably not very Christian. But I do know that he made his point that if Coach C ever laid his hands on me again, that, uh, well, let's just say that Coach C never thought of doing that again. I had gone home and told my father what had happened. I was upset, and my father stepped in with his protection. This was an advantage of having a father like my father. And when we find ourselves upset in this life, church, about whatever Talk to your heavenly father. Let him know you are upset. Let him know your struggles and persecution that you're going through. Tell him how the enemy is coming at you because he cares and he will step in with his protection. He just will. You do that through prayer. You just get alone and you just begin to talk to him. You begin to say, God, I'm struggling right now. I need your help. This is really hard for me. I can't bear this burden. It's too much. And he sweeps in with his protection and he protects his children. It's an advantage that we have when we make God the Father our personal Father. When we have a relationship with him through the person of Jesus Christ. Psalm 34, seven through eight says this, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Church, we gotta learn how to take refuge in our heavenly father because he's our protection. We try to do this stuff on our own and it's silly when we have the advantage of the father like we have. It's like we leave it on the table and don't take advantage of it. It's ridiculous. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Hallelujah. We serve a God. He is our heavenly Father, our perfect heavenly Father, and he will never leave us or forsake us. 
no matter what we're going through. Isaiah 43, 2. I'm just backing up with scripture what I'm saying. Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. You'll not even smell like smoke, guys. The Father protects. We have an advantage of the Father in that he protects his kids. I told my dad that I was struggling with that situation. I didn't like being pointed out. I didn't like being grabbed. I didn't like being slammed up against the wall. And I know some of you are like, oh, you could have, that's assault, brother. You know, I get that. Today, you couldn't do that, but back then they did. I didn't like it. I didn't know if it was going to happen again, so I told, on, I, 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 I told my daddy on him. <laughs> How much more will God the Father respond when we tell him that we're struggling with something? Lord God, help me. That bully, the devil, he's picking on me. Will you take care of that for me? We don't do that, do we? Not like we should. We try to bear the brunt ourselves and overcome in our own abilities sometimes. Well, good luck with that. I like that song we sang this morning, Leaning on the everlasting arms. If you don't think you need to lean on something, the only, one, the only person you're deceiving is yourself. You need to lean on the person of Jesus Christ. We all need that crutch. We all need that help. We all need it because none of us can do it on our own. I can. Yeah, you can't. That's why you need Christ. What an advantage we have in our Heavenly Father. We have heavenly protection. Your perfect heavenly father also gives you, number two, the advantage of wisdom. Listen to verse eight again in our scripture in Psalms. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. It has been said you don't really uh, realize that you don't know everything until you have a kid who thinks they know everything. How many can relate with that? Wisdom can be defined as the ability to apply knowledge. Anyone can, can gain knowledge through experience, reading books, watching videos, taking a class. But wisdom is knowing when and how to apply that knowledge in a way that brings about success. You can have knowledge of Scripture. You can know where things are in the Bible. Even memorize Scripture. And as good as that is, wisdom is better. Wisdom takes that knowledge and applies it to your life and to situations and circumstances that you're dealing with. And church, there's a lack of wisdom today. I mean, there's a lack of common sense today, too. They say common sense isn't very common. But there's a lack of wisdom today. People say that knowledge is power. And as true as that may be, knowledge without wisdom isn't as powerful as knowledge with wisdom. And as a child of God, our Heavenly Father has an endless supply of wisdom. He is wisdom supreme. He is all-knowing, but even more than that, He is wisdom itself. He's the source of it all. I believe that for me, growing up in a home where my dad constantly displayed wisdom, actually paved the way for me to seek out the wisdom of my heavenly father. My dad never, never really said, do what I say without living it himself. I remember when he started changing his life as he was 
becoming a, a, a Christian, everything changed in our family. He literally changed the entire trajectory of our lives. He quit drinking and even being associated with the drinking crowd. His friends changed. His lifestyle changed. His beliefs started changing. Everything was becoming different. I saw him start reading books. It was foreign to me. He used to sit and drink beer and watch television, and now he was reading books that taught success principles as well as going after our God-given dreams to become all that we could be in Christ. And the, and the Bible became a book that he would spend hours in. Before the Bible was just that, before then, that Bible was just that big book that sat on our end table in the living room. It had our family tree in the middle and had those Victorian pictures of, of, of Jesus and, and, you know, paintings in it. You know what kind of Bible I'm talking about? Had a bunch of dust on it because nobody ever picked it up and used it. But I saw him open up uh, the Bible and just make it a huge part of his life. Then I saw him welcome other kids into our home as they needed a place to stay and we became a foster family. I saw him sitting with couples in our living room as they, and, and, and encouraging them and even counseling them in their marriage or finances or their parenting. And he did all of that just through, through being a friend, through being somebody who was there for others in need. I mean, who was this guy? Several years ago, he was one guy, and now, a couple of years later, he's a changed man. He had gotten saved, church. He got saved, truly saved, and it changed everything in his life because he allowed God to change him from the inside out. You know, the evidence of salvation is a changed lifestyle, and I saw it happen to my father before my eyes. I think as far as wisdom goes, my dad lived a lived lived out it's better caught than taught thing with us he lived it out before us and watching him change changed all the rest of us changed our lives forever before he passed away and i've told this story before but i had said to my dad man he was he had cancer and he was laying in bed and it was just things were getting worse and progressing and I said, Dad, this healing thing, because we were believing for healing, this healing thing has taken a long time. It's taken a while. And I'll never, ever, ever forget what he said through a strained voice. And he had his eyes closed because the brain tumor he had was causing him to see triple and quadruple. I can't imagine the, the agony of that. But he said, yeah, but I'm learning stuff. Dad, this healing thing's taken a long time. Yeah, but I'm learning stuff. You see, my dad was a learner. His greatest wisdom instilled into my life is this. Cha he changed every day. Became more like Jesus with every breath. Never stop pushing yourself to learn and keep learning through situations. Listening to others who have already walked the path you're, you're walking or looking to rock, walk. Read the word. Change. I saw it. And he never put that into a sentence, but he just did it. He didn't have to put it into a sentence. He displayed it. What an advantage it is to have access to the wisdom of a godly father. And what a greater advantage we have when we understand that as followers of Christ, that we have the, a heavenly father whose wisdom is always available to us. He will guide us through the most turbulent times in our lives and lead us down the best pathways. He will advise us as we consult him. We have supreme wisdom at our fingertips 
with our Heavenly Father. That's an advantage, church. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. If you lack wisdom, do what? Do what? Yeah, just ask him. God, give me wisdom. I need wisdom right now. And he'll give it to you. Proverbs 2.6, God gives out wisdom free. This is the message version. I love this version of this verse. God gives out wisdom free. Is plain spoken in knowledge and understanding. He's a rich mine of common sense for those who live well. A personal bodyguard to the candid and sincere. And he's there for you with all of the wisdom, all of the guidance you need. Romans 11.33 through 36 have you ever come on anything quite like this extravagant generosity of God? This deep, deep wisdom? It's way over our heads. We'll never figure it out. Is there anyone around who can explain God? Anyone smart enough to tell him what to do? Anyone who has done him a huge favor that God has to ask his advice? Everything comes from him. Everything happens through him. Everything ends up in him. Always glory, always praise. Yes, yes, yes. God is a God of infinite wisdom. He's our Heavenly Father, and He will share it with you when you need it, and He will share it with you when you ask for it, when you call out to Him for it. What an advantage. What an advantage. And the last advantage I want to share with you this morning is that we have in our Heavenly Father the advantage of discipline. Look again at verse 9 and 10 of the Scripture in Psalms this morning. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Okay, stop right there and think about that. God says, don't be like a senseless horse or a mule. So if God is saying don't be like that, he's, a, he, he's obviously seen us be like that sometimes before. Turn to your neighbor and say, sometimes... You've been a senseless horse. Sometimes you've been a mule. And we won't use the King James version of that one. Okay? Church, it's to our advantage. It's to our advantage that we have this God who's a disciplinarian. And as I was meditating on this final part of the scripture passage I chose for today, it, it hit me. It, it, it doesn't say it directly, but indirectly it's loud and clear. How many times have we all acted like senseless horses or mules, stubborn beyond belief? How many times has God lovingly chastised us for those stubborn actions? It may be an odd thing to some of you, but having a God who is willing to discipline us is an advantage. It's to our advantage when God says no or gently and lovingly bumps us back up on the righteous path when we're headed for the ditch. It's love. It's love. We don't see it at the time, but it's love. God will let us deal with the consequences of our sin that we engage in. I mean, did, did, we, did we in our anger get out of hand or control? Did we let it control us? Did we somehow act dishonestly and then, and then get found out about it? God doesn't just shield us from these situations. Oh, you sinned, you did wrong. Let me take away all the, all the issues that go with that. No. 
He allows us to grow and change from them. God disciplines us. Not out of I'm holy and you're bad. He disciplines us because he loves us. He loves us. My father was a strong disciplinarian. He was known for it. He was maybe even a little proud of it. And in church, I saw moms and dads who struggled with their kids' behavior. I mean, I saw those moms and dads actually threaten them with, I will make you sit by Bob Hill if you don't shape up. (laughs) And our family, our four kids and our family sat very nice in church. And if we didn't, we got hauled out the back and I knew the church steps all too well. And the tree over on the side of the church and the tree on the other side of the church. And um, yeah, I can point out all the different places that my dad lovingly corrected me. But they would threaten those kids with, you'll sit by Bob Hill if you don't shape up, which I think, again, made my dad a little proud. And the kid would actually straighten up so they wouldn't have to. You know, we had troubled teens that lived with us as foster kids, and I'm not blowing this out of proportion. Several of them were very rebellious and disrespectful when they moved in, but that lasted for a very short time because they met their match when they met my dad. He wasn't abusive, he was stern. He just didn't allow those kinds of behaviors in his home. He didn't talk bad to his wife either. It was all about, that's my wife. She was center in, I mean, God was center in the home, but the marriage was the center of the home with Jesus in the middle of the marriage. It was not a kid-centered home is what I'm trying to say. And, and uh, some of you uh, uh, may think this is, uh, this is a, a bad action of, of, of my dad, but I, I remember when I was a sophomore in high school, I got into it with my mom, and I told her to be quiet. That is the worst thing I ever said to my mother, by the way. And I was not necessarily a good kid all the time, but that is the worst thing I ever said to my mother. Some of you teenagers are going, what? That's the worst you've ever done? You didn't meet my dad. My dad heard me say, be quiet. And he went to kick my rear end but I had gotten tall enough by that point that, and he had gotten old enough that his foot power was lost on the way up and it didn't hurt. I barely even felt it in my rear end and I laughed. Before I knew it, I was against the wall. My feet were not touching the ground. Um, needless to say, I never say anything that disrespectful to my mom again. I, I never will, ever. Some of you may think that's, that's abuse. And I've got to tell you, that, that was love. That was love. I listen sometimes to how kids talk to their parents, and it grieves me. It absolutely grieves me. My dad loved me enough to draw the line and say, don't cross it, or there's going to be consequences. And it's an interesting word, discipline. We, wanna, we want to be disciplined people, Right? and how we conduct ourselves and disciplined in our schedules and in our finances. And I mean, we're successful because we're disciplined, right? But we don't like experiencing being disciplined by those in authority over us. We don't like that. Don't discipline me. What gives you the right? Maybe your parent tried to discipline you and you didn't think they had the right. You can't become disciplined without discipline. And if we never 
accept the love of discipline being administered by those that God has placed over us, especially our earthly fathers, then how are we to understand and receive the loving discipline of our heavenly father? It's possible, I suppose, but it's much easier when we have an earthly example. Discipline that is administered in love is an advantage to us. It's an advantage, church. When we accept it, it will take us to places of being surrounded by his unfailing love. That's what Psalms says. Reject his discipline and you will experience many sorrows. Welcome it and enjoy the love of the Father. Proverbs 3.12, for the Lord corrects those he loves, <laughs> just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Hebrews 12.11, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. I, I can vouch for that. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Proverbs 13.4, or I'm sorry, 13.24, there's a ton of these throughout, throughout Scripture. I've just picked a few. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Proverbs 12.1, I love this one. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. That's scripture. That's scripture. What an advantage we have in a heavenly father who loves us so much that he's willing to discipline us when we veer off the best path for our lives. We have the advantage of protection, church. We have the advantage of his wisdom. We have the advantage of his discipline. And maybe you've not experienced the advantages of the father. Maybe your story is one of an earthly father that was so misguided or absent that you actually have lived your life resenting the father, maybe without even realizing it. Here's the truth. God is for you. He's not against you. He loves you with an everlasting love. And the shortcomings of your earthly father do not hold true for your heavenly father. Hear me. He's perfect and more than capable of showing you that he's perfect if you give him a chance. A relationship with him, it, it has its benefits. There are advantages of the Father that are out of this world awesome. And it takes a step of faith to experience him, but it's so worth it. So this morning, I just want to call you. You can bow your heads right now if you will. I, I want to ask this question. I want to call, I'm not going to call anybody forward this morning. I'm not going to call you out. But I want to call you to make a decision, call upon you to make a decision. If you've never really experienced the advantages of the Father, it may be that you haven't given your heart to him completely, or maybe ever at all. And if that's you this morning, you're like, yeah, I need the advantage of the Father. I, I need it. And it's time that I start accepting it, seeking it, even to the point of giving my heart to him for the first time. If anybody, if that fits anybody in here this morning, would you just lift your hand and say, yeah, it's me. I need the advantage of the Father. Okay, see that hand, see that hand, see that hand up there. See. Okay, several hands have gone up. Let's pray as a church. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I ask you into my heart today to be my Savior, to be my Lord. Forgive me of all my sins all my shortcomings. And I ask you, Father, 
to be my heavenly father in every sense of the word. You are perfect, and I need you. I take advantage of your protection. I take advantage of your wisdom. And I take advantage of your discipline. I love you. Change me from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We serve an awesome God, church. An awesome God. Well, I got you out of here early this morning. But I want to encourage you, love on your dad. Call him today. Tell him how much he means to you. You know, you can love your dad even if he's imperfect. Because there's not a dad that's on this earth that is perfect. There's only one of those. And I, it wasn't me raising my hand. It's, it's the Heavenly Father, right? Okay, just, just want to clarify that. <laughs> Love you guys, and we will see you Wednesday night. God bless you. Have a great, great day. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.